Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. Joining me this morning is Rial Kelly, President of Strategic Pathways, an educator, speaker, trainer, and business coach. Good morning, Rial. Good morning, David. Welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you uh, for being my guest this morning. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> the name Strategic Pathways sounds very broad, very general. And when I Googled the name, as soon as I hit strategic, list of hundreds of companies with the word strategic in their name just popped up. And, and later, I'll probably ask you more about strategic and we'll learn more about strategic pathways work and uniqueness in the market. However, now uh, we would like to get to know you, Real Kelly, better. Um, and you don't have to look so worried. This is a part of our show that every guest has to go through. So relax. Okay, I'm relaxed. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to host uh, on my show a guest with an accent because I have one. And when people hear your accent, are they trying to guess which country you come from? Most of the time they do, occasionally they get it right. More <laughs> so, often than not, it's wrong. What do you get as the wrong words? Um, I've been asked if I'm Australian. Um, I've been asked if I'm British. Um, even one time I was asked if I was German. I have no idea anybody could ever have gotten there from my accent. But I'm actually from South Africa. South Africa, yes. wow. Um, so you grew up in South Africa? I did. I was born and raised in Cape Town. And uh, those were different days than today. Very different. Uh, how was it growing up in South Africa in those days? Well, if you grew up the way I did in the community I was from, it was it was a fairly easy upbringing. Life was good. We were we grew up in a fairly affluent community. Um, we had good schooling. We had good education. So, I was among the group. I guess that would be the the so-called privileged group. But I was also raised by a mother who was very very anti-apartheid, and I have very vivid memories of my mother. Um, we we lived in a hotel. My parents owned a small hotel. Mm -hmm. And my mother used to be part of a group of white women that would protest against apartheid. So I have vivid memories of her when I was very young being brought back to the hotel by the police in handcuffs. And I even on, on occasion remember, at least on one occasion, I remember her walking into the hotel with her handcuffs on and blood coming out of her mouth from where she'd been hit. So I was. So she was hit by the white police. Yes, she because. Um, she, she, she was very vocal when I was younger. She was very vocal in um, opposing the whole notion of racism and apartheid. I see. And and as a young kid, how did it influence you watching first the apartheid and then watching your mom uh, fighting this and and going through some tough times? Well, you know, the the one lesson my mother reiterated with with all of us. I have an older brother and sister, and that we heard repeatedly is how wrong any form of bias is, that bias makes no sense at all. So we were raised to view everyone equally, but it was difficult to do that in a country where people, where, where racism was not just practiced, it was legislated, mm -hmm. it was the law. 
And, and as, a, as a young kid, you know, um, did you feel any of the international pressure? Did you know about it? Or, you know, you grew up, as you said, in an affluent uh, community and, you know, you had good schooling, uh, good probably extracurriculum after school. Yes, as young kids, we would have been completely unaffected by what was going on around us. And, and then as even you grew the up, media was controlled, so we we just you know we knew what we were told to know. <laughs> oh, I see. And as you grow up and then you know start kind of uh, look, at, let's say high school, and you know, get was there internet at that time? <laughs> David, you're dating me? No, no, not even close. But but as a as a young adult, right? And you probably get more and more. Uh, information from the outside world through your parents through your community um, how do you f- how do you feel you know watching all this happening around you well um, it's an interesting question because you start questioning things and of course being raised the way I was raised we just started seeing things that were wrong and of course you know like you we, you and I both grew up in countries where 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 being part of the military at some point was a requirement um, and and um, that further influenced my my sense of how wrong this whole process was. This, this how wrong this whole form of segregating people based purely on skin color. Did you go to the army? I I did. Yes. In the South African army. Yes. And um, so you finish high school. You go. Uh, so army is immediately following your high school. In my day, yes, yeah, there yeah. was conscription. Not anymore. And uh, following army, did you go to university in South Africa, or I? My goal always was to go to law school. I wanted to be a, the equivalent of a civil rights lawyer, but that didn't happen. So I came here when I was 23 years old, and I moved here for a number of reasons, but mostly because um, my sister had moved to Vancouver with her husband and family. My mother had moved there. It made sense to for me if we wanted to go and live in a different country. That was the that was the perfect place to go to. So you decided to immigrate to Canada. Yes. And you moved here in... 1977. Now it's, so, you land in Canada, what's next? Well, I had to find some way to make a living. <laughs> so my, my, my that, first that may job... Help. Yeah, but it helped. So <laughs> my first job, my, my last year in South Africa while I was waiting, while I was thinking of going to university, it was I sold real estate. Um, and it was very easy in those days simply because so many people were leaving the country that getting what you call listings here where it was a simple thing. I mean, people weren't, we didn't have to go looking for them, they came to us. So I assumed if I came to Canada, it would be just as easy, but I chose a different path and, I, and I, my first job was, was selling life insurance. I see. And I did that for several years. Uh, do you still have family in South Africa? Very distant. I have really no contact with anyone there. Did you visit since you left? No, I have not been back. My last question about South Africa. Sure. Um, when you look today in South at South Africa, and since the uh, change of you know canceling apartheid, what what do you feel? What do you see? How do you kind of you know relate to the country today? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question because I've been here so long that it's almost like that was not part of my life, but somebody else's. If I were to go there today, I would simply be a tourist. It is such a different place that I, I really, I, I would probably struggle to drive from the airport to downtown if I landed in Cape Town. It's been so many years. I it's see. such a different world. So you're a pure Canadian now? I think so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I've been two-thirds of my life. <laughs> um, we decided not to give up your age. 
Oh, well. You said two thirds, yes. 23, okay. people could do oh, the math. Oh, okay, what I meant was. <laughs> um, so you said you, you, your first job in Canada was selling life insurance. Yes. Uh, in which, in Vancouver? In Vancouver, yeah. How did it go? Um, I struggled. I struggled for the first couple of years. It was a difficult chore. Um, um, then I met a person just by coincidentally who started teaching me about the the functions of human behavior and I was able to apply a lot of that in my sales and so I changed companies, went to work with a different company. My sales increased and, and, and it became, life became interesting but that was also when I became fascinated with human behavior and how we, and, and, and how some people are inordinately successful at what they do and others don't and others aren't. Um, and so my whole journey of understanding why we do what we do and how we do what we do began around about that time. I see. So um, you were a successful life insurance agent at a certain I was, point? I had my moments of success. I wouldn't say I was hugely oh, okay. successful. And then um, following the life insurance journey, what did you do? What was your next job or your I, next experience? I um, started a seminar company. And that was my first venture as a, a seminar company. Yes, and so I had a seminar company. We delivered seminars all over Western Canada on a variety of different. What topics. kind of seminars? Um, mostly on behavior. Mostly on on. Um, I had I had spent a lot of time learning about NLP neuro linguistic programming back in the early eighties. So we we did a lot of work in that field and in other areas. I brought in different people to deliver seminars and we promoted them right across Western Canada. And that was your first experience as an entrepreneur. That was my first experience yeah, as an entrepreneur. You owned that business. I did. I see. So let's go back uh, one question. Uh, you mentioned that there you met someone that influenced you. Yes. Uh, he was an NLP trainer, and, and, and I met him in Vancouver. So he was what? An NLP trainer. I don't know. Neuro-linguistic programming trainer. Okay. And it's, it's a form of, um, it's it serious models of behavior that help us understand why we do what we do. And how did he influence you? He was my mentor. He, he began teaching me what to look for as I interacted with other people. Um, he started teaching me some of the nuances of behavior. Um, but also he had this great perspective on life. And, and, and I think he shaped my thinking in many ways because one of the, the lessons he taught me was that, and that I remembered so clearly, was that it really doesn't matter what happens to us, it's what, it's what we do that makes a difference. That it doesn't, that things that are external to ourselves have really no influence on us. It's really what we think and how we perceive mm-hmm. that, that determine what we do. And so he really was formative in, in my education, in, in, um, in, in helping me think the way I do today. I see. Um, so when you were a young kid, did you think you'll be kind of an entrepreneur that uh, deals with human behavior? Not what even, was the not dream? Even for a, <laughs> not even for a moment. What uh, was the true dream uh, when you were a kid? I, I wanted to go to law school. Um, I, I wanted to, I, because again of the way it's I was It's also raised, a I human behavior. To, yeah, I wanted to um, be a human rights lawyer. So, rights lawyer. when was that moment, the aha moment that you decided, you know what, I'm, with all the respect to selling life insurance, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to have my own business. I don't want to work for someone else. Um, and here's why. It was, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was when this same person one day asked me a question. He said, why do you go to work every morning doing something that you don't really enjoy when you could be going to work every day doing something you love? It was a wonderful question. And I didn't have a good answer. 
What, what, didn't even what have was a bad it? Do you remember your answer at the time? I think it was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my answer. I don't know. Um, and so we, we had a conversation and he said, you know, I think you should be brave enough to go out and do something on your own. And he said it in a way that it was somewhat of a dare, somewhat of a challenge. And so you went home and you didn't sleep that night? Pretty much, yeah. And I decided, I woke up the next morning in the seminar business, which basically meant I would no longer had a job and I no longer <laughs> had anything to do and I had to figure out how to make that work. I see. Yeah. And how did you make it work? How, how, how did you start your new business? Uh, I had an idea for what I wanted to deliver as a, as a one-time seminar. Just uh, to interrupt for a second, because the reason I ask you is you didn't have uh, a, pro, a product that you sold. You sold service, right? So how do you start a service business? I was trying to sell me. I was trying to sell my experience, which of course at that, you know, being very young with very limited experience, <laughs> I, it was a little bit of a challenging thing to do. Um, so I, the first thing I did was I, I did what I'd learned to do in the life insurance business. I just started making phone cold calls, inviting people to come to a free introductory evening. I had rented a room in a hotel. Yeah. My idea being that if enough people came, and if I was convincing enough, then enough of them would sign up mm -hmm. and come to my seminar. And unfortunately, that did happen. So enough people actually listened to what I had to say, and saw some value in it, and registered for my first seminar. And it kind of went from there. One anecdote you mentioned, and I want to ask you because I get asked by uh, some of my young salespeople is, when you, as a young person, try to sell yourself and your experience, which people see that you're young and you, they know you don't have a lot of experience. Right. How do you get over this bridge? <laughs> you know, I, I'm no longer young, and I still don't know what the answer to that question is. It's still <laughs> what really, did you? Do? It's still awkward selling myself. I, I, I could, I, I find it. I could sell you all day, David. It's tough selling myself. Um, I borrow. I told stories. Mm -hmm. I told stories of other people's experiences. I did. And that people were relating to those. Sometimes, yes. Fortunately enough, to keep my business sustained. I see. And you said that uh, you you had um, rented a hotel room and you got some people and, and people started kind of signing up right. for what? For my first seminar, which was a two-day program on, on what we call behavioral communication, how to communicate behaviorally with other people, how to look for nuances in behavior and understand them. So we, we over the period of the next few years, we tried the same seminar with different names. Um, different different kind of branding of it to try and attract more people. And I did that for um, a number of years until I developed a respiratory disease and was at the point that I couldn't breathe. Mm. I could no longer continue doing those seminars because I could not stand and talk. And so I had to move on to something else. I see. And when did you start Strategic Pathways? I started that in um, 1995. It, it, I, um, I registered the name on, on my birthday, November 30th in 1995, because that was the day a surgeon here in Calgary agreed to operate on me. I had this respiratory disease. I had been turned down by five surgeons who had written back to my doctor saying, you know, this guy would not survive surgery. And a young thoracic surgeon moved to Calgary from Vancouver and um, agreed to operate on me. And I happened to see him on my birthday and he, and he said, yeah, we, let's do the surgery. And from there I went I left the, his office and I went to a registry office and registered the name Strategic Pathways because I suddenly realized I was going to have a chance to, a second chance at life. So he was a young surgeon? From, yes. 
So he was looking for his first patient. <laughs> well, actually, it's kind of funny because I remember saying to him, um, have you done this surgery before? And he said, I have done this once. And I said, what was the result? And he said, let's not focus on that. <laughs> so, so, But obviously, here I am 23 uh, years later. So he did... His first attempt failed, but his second attempt was good. I, he's never really discussed the first attempt, but yes. <laughs> I, I see. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's... So I spent five years really ill. and five years, I, I didn't work. I'd started a second business and was not able to sustain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, What was so the second business? Uh, it was an inter- it was an information gathering company. We uh, we sent interviewers to talk to employees and companies to get a sense of what was going on, kind of engagement type of interviews, and then develop very um, detailed reports for the senior management I see. of their company. Well, now you're healthy. No, I'm you're absolutely keeping, healthy. You're yes. keeping yourself healthy. Yes, sir. That that's the most important thing, you know, yes, as as we. Uh, go with our life. So, Real, we need to have a short uh, pause and uh, have our first commercial break. Sure. Um, to our listeners, use this opportunity to learn about Strategic Pathways. Open a new tab and go to www.strategicpathways.net and we will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with uh, Taking Care of Business. My guest today, Rial Kelly, President of Strategic Pathways, educator, speaker, business coach, and an author. Um, earlier, I said that we'll learn more about Strategic Pathways. And one of the things when we did our research and I read uh, your book and I read uh, your, uh, your uh, blogs and I went through your website is um, how do you, you know, describe yourself or Strategic uh, Pathways? Is it more... A business coach or a life coach venture? Um, I think the right answer is I'm more of a habits coach. A long time ago, you know, one of the things I learned many years ago was that we, the vast majority of results in our lives come from those things we do repeatedly. And, and what I learned was, um, but, um, an interesting thing happened when I wrote my book. Two things happened that really changed the way I think. The first was that a number of people contacted me 
and said to me, you know, I like your book. There's some good stuff in your book. But how do you take good stuff and you know, shove it into your head and disseminate it so that it actually manifests in how you live your life? It was a really good question. I didn't have a very good answer. The other thing that happened that same year was two doctors here in the city, a gastroenterologist and a family doctor, each gave me three of their morbidly obese patients to work with. And I had a year to work with them. Um, and my, my job in working with them had nothing to do with nutrition. It had purely to do with mindset, with getting them to think differently. Um, I ended up working with four of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I needed to learn very quickly how this thing called mindset works. So, and I was fortunate enough, I have people in my family who um, are in that industry, in that field, in, in medicine, in psychology, in psychiatry. And um, I was able to tap into their help. And for a three year period, I really learned how our brains work. And specifically, we learned how habits are formed. And you know, it's interesting, if you watch television and you watch commercials for weight loss companies, you'll see the same things over and over again. You'll see success stories are tried it out and shown to us. And these are real people, these are not actors. But there's something that none of them show in their commercials. They don't show people who lost weight five, six, seven years ago, eight years ago, and kept it off. And, and there's a reason for that, and that is the vast majority of those folks have regained that weight. Uh, we've all gone through that ourselves in our own personal life. And it's because of... Me too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I wasn't going to point that out. I'm too polite. Um, it's because we haven't gone through the process of understanding how habits are formed. And habits aren't formed by our behavior. Habits are formed in our head. The behavior is the final stage of the process. And what I learned in this three-year period is how we create habits. So in, in, today, strategic pathways has changed. We still do a number of things. We do. We still do some employee um, surveys like I did before. We do exit interviews. We do, so we do almost 100 of those every month. But my job has come down to two things. I work with individuals on, on establishing habits and organizations um, around culture. Because culture is exactly the same thing. The word, what, the word when we, um, culture in the corporate world is what we call habits in our personal world. It's exactly the same things. It's those things that are normal that get results. And when we change norms, we change results. When I saw your bio, it was the first time I saw someone present himself as habits coach. And, but your answer really explains it. And, and so since you touched uh, about your book, and, and the book uh, is called Life Sinks or Soars, The Choices is Yours, um, thank you so much for uh, uh, giving me the book. Uh, I read it twice, once when you gave it to me about a year ago, and again before our show today. You didn't sign the book, but we'll get to this later. Um, is this book kind of a self-story? Um, part of it, yes. A lot part of that story is my story. I, I certainly mentioned being the years that I was ill, the struggles I had. You know, being an entrepreneur, as you know, is not always easy. Um, I would lie, be lying if I said there were many times over the years I looked at my friends who had jobs and I looked at them with envy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the great thing about being an entrepreneur, as you know, David, is every month you earn what you're worth. And it's a sad reflection some months when you realize you're worth nothing. And, and, it, and, and it's the tenacity we develop when you're in that situation that I think brings us to whatever level of success we enjoy, that, that willingness to expose ourselves to, 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 to earning nothing, um, it, but at the same time being willing to do whatever is necessary to do well. 
And that's a function, by the way. How much of the book, of the in, we do. in percentage, how much of the book is you, how much is fiction? 80-20. 80-20. 80-20 is you. 20 is fiction, yeah. When I read the book, um, I have to admit that um, I felt that it's one of the best books I read. Oh, for, thank you. For two reasons. One, it's short. <laughs> I, I don't like business books that are 300 pages because you get lost. Right. And second, I felt it's a personal story. I felt connected and, I've, and I was able to see my bad habits and my faults, let's say. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't let my wife read it yet because so, <laughs> then I'll get a list. But I, re I highly recommend um, how do people can get it? Probably It's on Amazon. It's Amazon. You can also get it through my website. Uh, you can order directly through my website and we'll ship it to you. Yeah, uh, Life Sinks or Sores, the choice is yours, uh, Real Kelly, by Real Kelly. Um, and I highly, highly, highly recommend this short book for every every person, not just entrepreneur. You know, what's interesting is, you know, the book is a story of two people. Um, one is named Earl, which is, people ask if that's me, it's the letters of my yeah, name. Sir, and, yeah. and the other is, is named the Hugh, is the friend. And it's and so many people have said to me, it's kind of funny, are you Earl? No one has ever said to me, are you Hugh? You, you know, the tall, athletic, successful, good-looking guy. <laughs> no one's ever confused me with that guy. So, <laughs> when you wrote the book, <laughs> what did you feel through the journey of writing the book? I think it brought back a lot of memories at the time. Um, you know, the, I, I wrote the book because shortly prior to that, I'd started writing a blog. And I started writing a blog because I'd had this, this, this almost pathological fear of writing. And, you know, I used to joke to myself and say, if I say something stupid, I can always deny it. But if it's in runs, it's out there in writing, I can't take it back. So I started writing a blog. Um, and my goal at the time was I'd write 10 blogs, one a week, and then I'd be cured. And I've never stopped. And I'm now closing in on 800 blogs. Um, and so the book was a kind of an extension of, of the blog. But um, I wanted it to be a story, and I didn't want it to be my story. I, I wanted license to exaggerate, to change it. And I can't do that if you're telling your own story. So um, not really answering your question, but it was, I, it was an interesting experience. So I remember it, that. And I have a second one, a second book that I'll help have out later this year, and it was a repeat of the same experience. But you said something. You say, I wanted to write a story, but I didn't want it to be my story. And then you say, not at the same breath, a breath before, a question before, 80% is me. Right. So did, you, write, did it change during the writing? No. By writing it as a fiction story, I, could, I, I don't have to stick to the exact truth. I could exaggerate. For example, Hugh was not a real person. Hugh, the other person, was an amalgamation of, a, of many people over the years who I've met who have been tremendously helpful to me and have been very sharing of their knowledge and their time in helping me. So that they, be, they all melded into one person called Hugh. Mm -hmm. So um, everything that you kind of advises, instructs you during the, the, the book, during the story of the book is kind of a, a puzzle of people that you met over the years. Each one gave you one item and you kind of collected them into one piece of advice? In a sense, yes. Maybe not one for one, but yes. So it may not have been one person, one piece, but yes. So when the book was ready. Yes. And you read, you, you got this with a cover and you read it again, right. probably after it was the final version. Yes. What did you feel then? Well, I, 
I felt a sense of accomplishment for sure. I'd written a book. I didn't think I could sell any. So I printed a hundred copies um, uh, because I thought with a hundred copies I could sell, you know, I could, through guilt, I could use guilt to get <laughs> friends to buy 20 copies and I'd put um, uh, 80 copies in a box and then I could say I wrote a book. But that's not what happened. I had mentioned in my blog that I had this book coming out and the first hundred copies were sold in a couple of days. So I got brave and... Um, I ordered 150 copies, expecting and saying, again, not to sell them. Those sold out very quickly. And then I switched to an offset printer, and I, and I ordered 3,000. Um, and I remember the day they arrived at my office, and I wasn't sure where to put them. And now, in total, I've sold just just over 50,000, and I've given away around 2,000. Nice. That's a great accomplishment. Well, thank you. It's interesting because um, I never expected that. And if you ask me how do you go about selling a book, truthfully, I don't have a clue. I see. Uh, well, sometimes it helps when you don't have a clue. And success. Yeah. Ignorance, <laughs> ignorance sometimes is a wonderful tool. Um, so what's the next book? Can you share with us what the next Absolutely. book is about? The next book is called Everything You Believe to Be True is True Until It Isn't. And it's around the power of what we believe and how our lives are governed by, the, by what we believe to be truth. And the only truth is a truth that we accept as truth. So uh, all the work I've come to do in the last oh, few years have, or is based on five truths. And the foundational truth is that first one, everything we believe to be true is true until it isn't. And as I've worked with many people, it, it's so evident in, it, as I listen to people describe their own limitations. And their limitations are purely in their head. The limitations are around what they believe to be true. When we change what we believe to be true, we change everything. And, and we, start, we start creating habits that now are consistent with our new beliefs. So this whole book is around uh, a new program that, that I introduced last year called Obsession, which is a 100-day, we call it a 100-day boot camp program. Before we go into obsession, I want mm -hmm. to, to hear from you. What are the five truths that you say? You mentioned five. Right. So the first truth is everything you believe to be true is true until it isn't. Um, and that's by, that is the foundation upon which all the others are built. The others I've just borrowed or heard along the way. Um, um, and, you know, in life, we, there's a saying, it's that we get what we tolerate. We end up with what we put up with. So I've worked with many people who complained about the jobs they're in, and a year later I'll bring them to them, and they're still complaining about the jobs they're in. So as long as you're willing to tolerate it, you'll keep you'll keep putting up with it. You know, mm -hmm. that's one of them. Another one is um, is about being honest with ourselves. If we want anything to change, we have to acknowledge what we want to change. We can't fix, we can't repair what we want to admit to, what we want to acknowledge. And, and so it's about being, one of the truths is if we have to be able to look in the mirror and identify our own warts mm -hmm. instead of spending so much time covering them up and hoping nobody else sees them. It's not, it doesn't matter what others see, it's what we see within ourselves. And so it's, it's about being true to ourselves. Another truth I learned when I was in school in South Africa. If you did something wrong, you'd go to the principal's office, right. and you got what there's in those days they called cuts. You would be you. They would take a, a long cane, and you would get, and you would get hit with it, right? <laughs> and um, and I was a, I think I had a loyal customer loyalty card. I was a reg, fairly regular customer, <laughs> and 
one day the principal said to me, I'm paraphrasing this, you know, what he said many years ago, but he said along the lines, he said, you know, Rael, you're not very bright. He said, you don't seem to get it. Every time you do this, every time you do that, this happens. And so every time you do that, you end up here and you get these things called cuts, right? And, and so one of the truths is, is when you choose a behavior, you choose the consequence. And you have to own that, that we can't point fingers elsewhere. Whatever we do, we have to own. And the consequence of what we do comes from the choices we're making in, in doing what we do. Another one is um, perhaps the second most important of all is we only ever do one thing. We do what is most important to us in that moment. It doesn't mean it's most it's the right thing, it doesn't mean it's a good thing, but in that moment we do what's most important. And so the truth is that when, when something is important, we'll always find a way. When it's not, we'll always find an excuse. So, so let me kind of repeat the five that you mentioned uh, for listeners. So the first one you mentioned was everything we believe to be true is true until it isn't. Uh, the second, uh, we get what we tolerate. Correct. The third was you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. Correct. Uh, then the, the one before the last was when you choose a behavior, you choose the consequences. And if it's important, you'll find a way. If it isn't, you'll find an excuse. Correct. So my next question to you as a business coach and as a life coach, talking about entrepreneurs that you work with, that are your clients on the business and, and, and life, how accept? How do you accept this, or how do do they implement it? Do you see a pushback? Because entrepreneurs, and I'm one of them, we like to stay where we're, you know, comfortable. And if something is working for us, why get into this? Right. So you know, if you were to say that to me as a client, my question with you is, why are you looking at me as a coach? If you want to stay where you're comfortable, why would you need me? I want to work with people who are not comfortable. I want to work with people who are willing to become comfortable by being uncomfortable, <laughs> and who are willing to push themselves harder and further than they ever have before. Uh, you know, one of my clients say, introduced me to somebody recently, and they said, you know, this is the person I work with. He's not a habits coach, he's an extreme coach. This guy does not tolerate anything other than pushing himself beyond your own limits, and I believe in that. I, I, I don't believe in dabbling. I believe you're either in or you're out. And if you're in, you're in 100%. So to any entrepreneur who wants to work with somebody like me, they have to want something they don't have now. And, and what that suggests is that if, to get something you don't have now, you have to do things you're not doing now. You have to do different things. Otherwise, you'll continue getting the same results that you're getting now if you continue doing the same stuff. So to go back to your comment, if you're comfortable as an entrepreneur, then you don't need me. And I, I see. and I don't and I can't help you. So you are uh, also uh, an ambassador of change. Um, that's a nice phrase. I'll I'll borrow that. Yes. <laughs> we'll see it on your next bio. Yes. Thank you. Yes, that'll be my next book. Thanks, David. <laughs> I see. Perfect. Uh, we have to get. We, we reached our second commercial break. Okay, sure. That was a very interesting uh, session. Uh, and we will be back with you uh, following the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back uh, for taking care of business with my guest, Rial Kelly, president of Strategic Pathways. Rial, before, uh, during the second segment, you mentioned that uh, you were working with four obese people and on changing their habits. Are they still uh, lean? And well, mean? that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> so that, that was in 2010 when my book originally came out. Um, so I am still in touch with two of the four. I've lost touch with two of them. Of the, the two, of all four of them lost significant amounts of weight in the year I worked with them. The two that I'm still in touch with have, have kept that weight off significantly. They still, so what that required was a you know, significant change in lifestyle, um, and which, which essentially meant a, a significant change in, in, in what they believe to be true of themselves regarding how they manage their own health and their own lives. So... Um, uh, you know, one of them, the 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 heaviest them, uh, over a period of several years, lost 300 pounds and oh, wow. kept that off. That's amazing. So um, you mentioned uh, that you have developed a few programs, um, and one of them was on course. And now you mentioned that you developed a new one called Obsession. Can you elaborate a little bit about the new program called Obsession? Sure. So it's kind of an interesting story, the catalyst to this. Um, if I can just take a moment. A number of years ago, I did work in a company, just a consulting project, and I met a person there who was a, was a junior manager in that company. I didn't know him very well, but several years after that project ended, he called me, and he came to see me. He had an interesting story to tell me, and and and, um, and you'll laugh when I tell you because it is an interesting story. He told me that 
none, no male in his in his family had lived past to be 50. His dad had died in his 40s. He had two older brothers who had passed away in their 40s. Both of his grandfathers had died in their 40s. And he was in his mid-40s, at the, prior to coming to see me, at his mid-40s, he realized, he came to the conclusion that he wasn't going to live much longer. He had just gone through divorce, and he decided he would liquidate all his assets and just kept going and have a giant party until he ran out of money. And then he would die. <laughs> and when he came to see me, a rather sad thing had happened. He'd run out of money, but he'd forgotten to die. And uh, so he was in a somewhat tenuous position where he came to, he realized that he was going to defy the family legend and he was going to live a long time. And he had an idea for a business, but he had very limited cash. He estimated he had about 90 days worth of cash. So his question to me was, would I take him on as a client in a really accelerated fashion? Typically when I would work with a client as a, you know, in a coaching pro um, process, it, would, it was somewhat self-paced, but generally it would be six months, 12 months, 14 months uh, at their own pace. And he said to me, would you be willing to work with me? I will work like a superhuman, but I only have 90 days. So, and I, and so I, I agreed to this and he lived up to his word. He was the most remarkable person. Whatever he said he would do, he did 10 times over. And by the end of 90 days, his business was starting to cash flow positively. And you know, now, several years later, he's doing very well. So that gave me the idea for an accelerator program. And I came up with and, and so I began last summer, I introduced this program, we called it Obsession. Mm -hmm. um, because the word obsession to me means intense focus. It doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that 24 hours a day you, you're obsessing over one thing. It means that in the time you're dedicated to doing something, that's what you do. 100% of your focus goes into this. And it's a 100-day program that's, that begins with a two-day workshop. The first day is sort of informational. The second day is, is, is very um, direct and is, and, and is very targeted around setting goals and, and, and focusing on what we call, on a term that, that I came up with a number of years ago, called directional activities. Those few things that we have to do over and over again that each time we do them move us a teeny bit closer to our prize, to our goal. And it's been a remarkable experience. I've had a number of people go through this program. Um, we use an almost militaristic approach to selling it, which is for 100 days, you're going to get treated like crap. You're going to do what you're told. You're going to do what you say you're going to do. You will, no excuses are allowed. You'll be pushed harder than you've ever been pushed before. At the end of the 100 days, you will look the same in the mirror and you'll be a completely different person. And it's completely around changing the way we think because that is, that is fundamental. That is foundational in changing anything is we have to change what we believe to be true. It's like basic training in the army. It's pretty much like basic training in the army. You don't argue. You know, in the, in the military, when they say to you, you know, do 100 push-ups, you don't negotiate. <laughs> or if you do negotiate, you only do it <laughs> once. You don't try it a second time. Correct? I did. You try it a second time. Yeah. I did negotiate once. Yeah. It was a <laughs> didn't work very well. <laughs> no. No. And, 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 and it's because... I'm of the opinion that if you want a result, you have to be willing to do what is necessary to get there. You have to push yourself harder. You have to be willing to go through the pain and, to and sustain the pain, accept the pain, become comfortable being uncomfortable. Do the things that don't always appeal to you. And when we do that, we get the results we want. So this obsession is really not for everyone. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's for those and only for those who are truly willing to push themselves harder, further than they ever have before. And we do it together. I see. Um, 
you know, one thing you, you did, be at the next you, you, you didn't you didn't mention one thing about this story that you said uh, told us about this person. Uh, his father and his brothers were they married when it happened to them? Because he was divorced. Maybe that's why he's alive. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> um, you don't know. know. Um, you you always come back to habits. Yes. Right. You always uh, during the interview, I noticed that you always come back to habits are the key for everything. But there's another thing that I remember in the book, and, and that is you went through a process of affirmations. Um, how important is how important was it for you? How important is it? And how do you do you put emphasis on this when you talk with your uh, clients? Yes, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in affirmations, and here's why: is I believe that we're all using affirmations all day, every day. You know, I've read studies that suggest that we have upwards of fifty thousand thoughts a day. There's constantly things going through our head. Arguably, everything going through our head is an affirmation of something. When you look out the window in the morning and it's snowing and you wanted to, and you wanted to golf, and your whole demeanor changes, whatever you say to yourself is uh, is kind of affirming that reality of that day. An affirmation is simply part of the story we tell ourselves, and we are the story we tell ourselves. The first step I learned during those three years of really studying habits was that the first step in the process of developing new habits is through affirmation, is changing the story you tell yourself. Remember, everything we believe to be true is true until it isn't. So we have to tell ourselves, we have to create a process of re-scripting, re-sculpting our story to reflect the story we want because that's the foundation upon which all habits are built. And, and give us an example of an affirmation that you use. Well, um, gosh, that's it. <laughs> I use many of them. You know, the one thing I... I, I um, Did you say every morning when you wake up to right. yourself? So I've, I, I've had a somewhat interesting health history. Right. And even today, I still I have this growth I had in my lung many years ago has come back. And, it's, and, 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 it's, and, and it's, so one of the things I say to myself every day repeatedly is that every, every cell in my body is vibrating with perfect health at all times. Mm, that's interesting. I haven't had a sick day in 14 years. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, you know, as I, I mentioned to you before the, we got on air, is that this is a show that we talk about entrepreneurship a lot. Mm-hmm. And you being a business coach, um, how do you measure yourself? I measure myself against the goals I've set for myself. And every year I, I try to do is I set tougher ones. So, you know, um, I push myself hard. I get up every morning between 4.30 and 5. I run for an hour before I start my day. Um, they say it gets easier over time. They lie. <laughs> I hate it. But I won't miss a day. Um, so I measure myself by what I'm willing, by how much I'm willing to endure to get what I want. Now, you, you probably meet a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that... Uh, or people that tried something, failed, tried something else, failed, tried something again and failed. What What is your advice to those people? Other than coming to the obsession uh, course. Oh, yeah, there's other advice beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> My advice is that the past does not equal the future. So Elaborate. just because you failed twice, three times, four times does not mean you will fail again. It's what you go in with. It's the perspective you bring that will play a huge role in how you do the next time. I think what happens is for many people having failed twice or three times, they give up. 
they they accept this thing that's called learned learn helplessness. They come to the conclusion there's no point in trying again; it's hopeless. That's just not true. Uh, and so failure can be viewed in several ways. It can be viewed as a destructive, terrible thing, or it can be viewed as as a training, as learning so what now what how to do things differently the next time. There's really only one reason people don't achieve goals. They don't finish what they start. And you see it in your business constantly where people where people in the sales side start with great enthusiasm and then and then they just taper off because they're not getting the results they want fast enough. So it you know, it goes back to one of those truths. If something is important, we'll find a way. If it's not, we'll find an excuse. And the easiest way to find an excuse is to look at our own history. If we've had failure and say, well, because of that, I can't try this again. In my view, there's no truth to it. It's like the person who says, it's impossible for me to quit smoking. Well, there's no possible truth to that statement. Of course, it's not impossible. But if that's their belief structure, if that's what they believe to be true, they'll quit trying. So the answer to your question is you, you pick yourself up and you do it again. As uh, we mentioned earlier, you describe yourself as a habit coach, as a cultural coach. Um, when you work with business people, do you work on the business plan, mission, vision statement, or you go first and go, okay, first let break all the rules and change your habits before we go into planning? Do you... Do, do they go parallel or do is it stage? To me, it's staged because to me, the first thing you look at is culture. And culture, culture simply means what's normal around here, what's acceptable around here. So think of it this way. Think of a computer. And within a computer, we have two kinds of software. We have an operating system and then we have what we call apps applications. You could have the most modern, sophisticated applications. You, you could have the slickest, fastest applications. But if you load them on top of an operating system that is incompatible with, those, with that software, that software will not perform anywhere close to its optimal level. So if we translate that into a business, your processes, your strategies, all the, the methodologies that you bring to your organization will, pale, will, will fail to deliver, live up to the expectation if you, haven't, if you introduce them to an incompatible operating system. Culture is your operating system. So the place to start, in my view, is you start with understanding the operating system, put in place the norms that will produce the results you want. And only then you get into mission, vision, business plan? Those are all applications. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've worked with a number of companies, and I've seen this over and over again. Where you're able to change that culture, and it's so easy. It's you know, there are a lot of myths around how long it takes. That it takes you know decades to change organizational culture. It really does, and it can be done very quickly. There are a few criteria that have to be in place for that to happen, but yes, it can. When I uh, when we opened the show, I mentioned that we will uh, learn about uh, strategic pathways uniqueness. So the question I have for you right now as a service provider, you compete you know, with every size of consulting companies, small, big, one-man show, uh, hundreds all over the country. Sure. Uh, what do you feel is strategic pathway biggest advantage? I think its biggest advantage is, is just the, the, the personalization of what we do. We work with everybody. When we work in an organization, we'll work with people at every level of the organization. We get to know the frontline folks. We get to know as well as we work with the senior people. I think the differentiation, in my, in my view, is, is just that we don't give up. We, we don't let people quit on us. 
we'll work with somebody until they're successful. Where do you see strategic pathways five years from now? I think just on the path we're on now, which is just doing more and more of what we're doing, I think our obsession, this program, because we're getting such good response to it, will be will replace a lot of the other coaching type things that we do. And I think it will become our primary program, primary product that will be the most in-demand one that we, the most in-demand offering that we have. The obsession one? Yes. Just because of the intensity? Because of the intensity and because of the results. And because of the selectivity, because a lot of people... Um, uh, disqualify themselves once they once they understand the commitment that they're asked to make. So you, you, we mentioned earlier we did the comparison between uh, obsession and uh, basic training in the uh, army. And once the hundred days are over, what's next? How do, how do you continue with continue. those? Continue. So what so so what we do with our clients beyond the hundred days is we have regular group interactions. We we do we do it whether they're online, whether they by podcast. So we stay in touch. We don't say we don't we don't shake hands and say goodbye at the end of the hundred days. It's just that hundred day is a fierce commitment to excellence and it's a commitment that shapes people for the next hundred days and the next hundred days and the next hundred days. Um, we're almost at the end of our show. I don't know if you mm-hmm. noticed that time flies. I guess it does, yes. <laughs> and, uh, I'm having fun with you. Yeah, I'm having fun, but I'm getting, uh, you know, our engineer Aaron is sending me messages. Oh, okay, buddy, we're almost there. Um, so I have a few short questions uh, to end the, uh, the uh, show. Uh, what keeps you awake at night? What keeps me awake at night? Very little. Oh, you sleep well now. I sleep very well, yes. <laughs> That's good. awesome. Yes. Any regrets along the way? No, there's no point. No, we, we, we can learn from the things we should have done differently, but regret is just, it's just energy that could be directed in a more positive way. <laughs> um, what have you learned about yourself through this whole journey from South Africa, moving, trying business in life, insurance, starting your business, going, uh, becoming very ill, now healthy? And now with your prosperous... During those five years when I was sick, I spent eight months on the street, I was homeless. And I guess what I learned was that we all have within ourselves a resilience that if we just tap into it, we can overcome anything. And so what I've learned more than anything else is that it just doesn't matter what happens. I'll deal with it and and I'll train my and teach my clients to do the same. We'll overcome it. It just doesn't matter. So it's all about us. It's all about mindset. It's all about what we believe to be true. If I gave you an opportunity to meet two people, dead or alive, for lunch, beer, what, who do you invite? Um, well, being from South Africa, one of them absolutely would be Nelson Mandela. Uh, of course, I would love to, to talk with him. Um, and I'd love to... to, to say, say forgive me? No, I don't think he would ask for that. Okay. No, I think he had too much class, way too much. Um, the second one? Um, my grandfather. I think he was the wisest man I ever met, and he died when I was very young. But I remember to this day the clarity with which he said things. So he was a Russian immigrant to South Africa. And, uh, um, but just the clarity with which he spoke, some of the lessons he, he taught me as a young child of Definitely stuck with me through. Definitely helped me and stood me in good stead. My last question for the day: sure. What is the one thing in your life you are proud of? The one thing in my life, I think it's that I just haven't given up. 
because there have been many, many times. It is, and I'm sure you can relate to it as a, as a business person. There are so many times giving up just seems like the right thing to do or the easy thing to do. Rial, it was a great having you. Uh, we, reached the, we, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Thank you again, Rial Kelly, educator, speaker, business coach, uh, president of Strategic Pathways, for being my guest this morning. Share with us your experience both as an entrepreneur and as a coach. Uh, thank you all for following and tuning in. Uh, your feedback and via email is very important. Uh, please keep on emailing me at dvwallach at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Aaron, our dedicated engineer, Sasha, my assistant executive producer, uh, and Mark for our promotional uh, over Facebook. I will meet you here at voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, February 26th. My guest will be Andrew Rush, uh, and we will meet you here at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.